Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Intercry Ministries podcast. We hope today's episode equips you to continue to grow and mature in your faith. Our prayer is also that this would inspire you to be more and more like Jesus. If you would like more information on who Intercry is and what we do, visit our website at www.intercry.org. Thanks for listening. Last week we started on the idea of suffering. We talked a lot about the issue of how Job had to go through quite a bit of suffering. And um, as Christians, there's a lot of dialogue both from Christ and from Paul and Peter about the role and the place of suffering in the life of a believer. Um, In an honest, more candid look, you know that all of us, when you talk about the word suffering, it has a real negative connotation. And um, I mean, for me, uh, there's a a tinge of anxiety comes when you know that you're about to suffer some something. Um, And last week, I talked about the idea that suffering for Job to many would be interpreted as God being evil or wrong or his behavior towards Job would have a, a sense of evil to it. But understanding suffering in the way it works in the humanity of our lives helps us to better, I think, understand how to love others. And I think it also develops character because uh, the Bible actually talks about that. It talks about that suffering produces character. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say directly, but it would say that if certain suffering is responded to properly, it does produce the proper character. And so as we talk about suffering, there's a couple of kinds that Peter defines. He talks about the suffering of doing wrong. So when you do something wrong, justice has a repercussion on you and you suffer for it. Uh, And Peter says basically, um, then you've gotten what you deserve. Uh, And then there's a suffering that Peter says that when you do something right or you operate in the righteousness of God, that somehow in that there is a result that leads to suffering. And he says, in a nutshell, that basically this is something that we should rejoice in, that we should be glad in, that we should be um, consider it all joy, right? Uh, because in that something really profound happens. We fellowship in the suffering of Christ. Um, And in, I believe it's in Philippians, Paul actually rephrases this by saying this. He's talking about, um, in Philippians 3, he gives us this description of his history. And he talks about all these wonderful accolades that he accomplished in the world around him. And he said that he basically gave those all up and considered them all, as the scripture says, dumb. He says, moreover than that, I also consider, verse 8, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord because I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ suffering the loss you know there are specific things that we value that we have given place in our life that we poured our whole lives into like Paul and giving them up creates a place of suffering where there is a loss and therefore it creates a suffering. Paul is then going on to say, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness that comes from the basis of faith from God. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. This process, he's saying, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. We all would be like, yes, I want to do that. And then he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. Fellowship of his suffering. That don't sound exciting. I mean, it just kind of sounds like, okay, that's the difficult part. That's the part that I'm not going to like. That's the part that I'm going to have a little bit of difficulty with. And I think that this may actually cause us as believers to tend to manage our journey with the Lord. That somehow on the horizon, the hammer's going to fall on me and difficult and trying times are over the hill. Um, and because of that, we may actually preempt potential suffering because we don't necessarily see it as a positive for our future with Christ. And in that, we begin to take lordship over our journey, whether it be in relationship to others or in relationship to God. And once we take lordship, we begin to manage our journey and position ourselves so that something wrong or difficult doesn't happen to us. What we're really saying is we don't trust the Lord with that suffering. What we're really saying to the Lord is, I don't know if I really trust that this outcome is going to be good for me, so I'm going to sidestep this part. Um, and we all do it at some point in our journey. We even, who Peter is discussing this in thorough detail, he did this on the night of Jesus' arrest. Uh, when he stepped out in his courage to try to fight for Jesus' life physically, when Jesus told him, this is not a physical fight, this is a spiritual fight, and tonight what will be asked of you is your reputation. Once Peter understood that, he pulled back because he had not calculated the emotional suffering of being rejected or isolated because of his faith. So one of the things that Peter did was he denied Christ and Christ in his life. There's a place in all of us when we see the potential of the same outcome of Peter that we actually begin to take lordship over our journey, not trusting the Lord with the outcome. Personally, I've been down this road a number of times because the Lord loves to test these places in our heart and draw us out <laughs> And show those places that we're managing and controlling. Because it is all about full trust in the Lord. Complete surrender to Him. Giving Him everything I have. So we say this all the time. And it sounds real admirable and noble and exciting. And you might actually join the fraternity of I'm going to suffer for Jesus. And in the end you find yourself more like Peter. Well that's not the end. It's actually the beginning. That with God, when he tests us, it's not like the Greek philosophy of you have to make a passing grade to move on. Many times in the kingdom, you must fail miserably to move on. And in Peter's case, his suffering was so great, his agony for what he had done to Christ. That suffering produced in him a, great, a place of great character and humility so that God could, in, pack, in fact, put the weight of leading the Jerusalem church on his shoulders. So I want to read something else to you, and I want you to know this. As a believer, I think that 
to understand the embracing of God's journey as it relates to suffering, I think we need to, I call it the love death. That to want to suffer, it's just not in us. It's just not natural to want to suffer. But if I'm in love with someone, I will suffer long with them. An example in humanity. If you care about someone a lot, you'll give up certain things for them for the sake of the relationship. You'll even go further that if there's certain things in that person's life that you don't like, you'll suffer long with them until that's healed or restored because you dare to love them even more. And in that process, loving them and not judging or being critical or stoning them for their behavior or lack of character, you love them through it, whether it takes one month, one year, ten years. And in that, you become many times the object of their sin or their lack of character. That's called long-suffering. So that is a a place where God's inviting us, that in the long-suffering of our own soul, that here I am in this body that is not quite there yet, Like, I am saved from sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. And I will be saved from this body that I am in from sin. And when that comes, when that place comes in me, when I'm saved from the body of sin, that's the future. So there has to be a hope in me of the outcome of this being good. And that no matter what happens in this body, for me to be redeemed from this broken and sinful body, there needs to be a place of denial of self that produces the character of the Spirit of God in me so that I then can start to walk like Christ, look like Christ in spite of this fleshly body. That means being able to love others. Not necessarily that I'm on a track to be suffering all the time but more so on a track to love. And I think John, chapter 14, alludes to this in chapter 15. So let, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you. In John, chapter 14, verse 18 through 21, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet I will, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Hear this intimacy, this very one place with us and God. And he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what is God really saying to us here? Jesus' own words is telling us that this abiding life, this living in God by, by following his commands, that he and the Father will come and make themselves known to us, to one with us, that we would be so bonded together that the love of the Father would become a tangible experience. It actually says that when he says he will make himself known to us, this is actually a tangible physical experience with God. So he says in chapter 15, he goes on, and I'll read in verse 9 of 15. He says, I love you as the Father loved me. Now remain in my love. This word here, remain, also means like abide or dwell or, or, or position yourself. It maybe also can be used like an attitude, a posture. But he's saying more so like position yourself, he says, in me. But more importantly, now he says, position yourself in my love. 
I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And I used to read that and think, oh, well, the Ten Commandments, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, if I obey the commandments, and then I learned later, well, maybe Jesus had some commandments of his own, and that's the reason why I'm not learning how to obey or live and remain in the love of God. He says, but if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And he says, I, told, I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. So living in this place has an incredible place of joy, fullness of joy from God. And he says, this is my command. So now, if you read a little further, you find what is Jesus' commandments. He says, to love each other as I have loved you. Wow, that's hard. That's difficult. I thought it was more like a, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Go, go here, be this. Try to be this religious person. Do all these things. He says, no, love each other as I have loved you. That's my commandment. And the greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. Ah, here we go. See, is, is it mean a physical death? Obviously, he's stating that for himself. But to die to this old body is to suffer in the simplest of ways by saying no to this and causing this sinful body to die to itself. As Paul was saying, I've suffered the loss of things. So there's a suffering of loss that I'm living in and I'm doing it out of love. So the greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, he's asking them about this command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I gave you this work to go and produce fruit, fruit that will last or remain. Remember, this is a remain. So in other words, your offspring in the Spirit will live the same life of remaining and abiding in love. <laughs> and then the Father will give you anything you ask for me in my name. This, my commandment, love each other. Wow. That's so good. And, and, and if we look in 1 John chapter 4, it tells us that God is love. So to remain in God is to remain in love. So if God is love, if we went to uh, God's Webster Dictionary in heaven and we find love, we would look across from him and there'd be a picture of Jesus. Right? Hypothetically. And if that were true, then... To live in God is to actually abide in a life of love, a life of selfless love. To live in God is not necessarily to find some great cathedral and to sit on the front row, although that might happen, but more so the life of long-suffering for the sake of others as Christ did for us. To give up one's life for others. To live in such a way that I am substituting what I want for what they want. But this is really focusing on what Paul said, that I may know or fellowship in the suffering of Christ. Well, Christ's fellowship of suffering was that he died for those who were his enemies. He, remember, made the perfect intercession on the cross when 
In that moment, when they were spitting on him and cursing him, he was dying for them. And in that intercessor moment, he said, in the perfect intercession, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so what Paul was really trying to ask us to do in this, he's prodding us as his exhorter gift in him is by saying to, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. That in that moment when he's on the cross, Paul's telling me that I want a fellowship in that where, where the people I love reject me and I still stay in that place of suffering for their sake. I take the punishment of the situation, the difficulty of the journey, the process of loving someone into the kingdom. I take it upon me and suffer because of it. Wow. <laughs> That's a hard one. As I'm saying it, it's convicting to me. Right? Because all of us, this is so foreign to us. It, it is actually what Paul says. A, a good man will die for another good man. But would someone actually die for someone who considered them their enemy? Would you give up your life for your enemy? That's what Jesus did. He took it to the whole level that you and I could never go to. He took it to a point where in Christ Jesus, the only way literally to be that kind of loving was Jesus to do it in me. Therefore, that's why in John 14 and 15, he keeps going back and forth from this love, abiding life, and saying that he would not leave us as an orphan, but send the spirit of adoption to live inside of us. Because it is not within my being to love on that level. So God knowing that, he puts the purest love of all, his spirit living in us to perform that love. In fact, if we go to 1 Corinthians, we find this kind of love, he says. And, and Paul says it so well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe, starting in verse 4, he says this. Now, and as I read this, I want you to think about this. If God is love... And 1 John 4 tells us it is, that God is love. The noun God, Jesus, is love. And so Paul tells us love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I say that again. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Paul is telling us this is the abiding life, these characteristics. And to be this person, my flesh is not going to go there. So the Spirit of God living in me, his agenda is to produce all of these characteristics of love in my life. The pinnacle place in all of us is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. And to perform the greatest is an invitation to the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. 
here we are in an hour right now when the word just kind of keeps coming up with me about suffering. And so I think that we need to always remember that we don't necessarily have to position ourselves for suffering, which is kind of weird and can be almost um, unhealthy. I know people who have taken on suffering like a medal. Um, there have been um, pious believers in the past who have actually physically punished themselves because they were trying to position themselves in the fellowship of this suffering. But Christ has sent us to do something. We are his hands and his feet. To live the life of Christ on the earth is a place of suffering. You're going to suffer for doing wrong because we're going to make mistakes. But you're also, rightly so, going to suffer for doing the right thing. And if so, then we as believers need to go ahead and picture ourselves. The more we become like Christ, the more we fellowship in the true suffering of Jesus. Whether it's being rejected by loved ones because of our position in Jesus. And there are some of you that are already dealing with that because of your faith and your stance. Even in this hour, family members have considered you to be um, shallow-minded, naive, um, pig-headed, stubborn, um, unsafe, unwise, insensitive. These are words I'm hearing come up now because of what we believe. It's not going to get better as you grow for Christ and with Christ. The more you stand up for his way, his life, his promises, if you live in his love, then the way you live will produce suffering, rejection, sorrow, difficulty. But I don't do them for their sake. I do them for his sake. I'm in love with Jesus, and I'm in love with people because Jesus is in love with people. And because I have his heart, I have his heart for mankind. And in that, I'm not only glad to suffer, but I'm willingly giving my life away for the sake of love, not for the sake of suffering. So that I may know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. So that I may embrace that suffering for the sake of knowing Christ more. Not any other reason. So as a believer, I need to give those places over to the Lord. And last week's lesson was on Job and his unwillingness to let those things go. And the boils on his body and the difficulty and all that he's been through are all tied in to the idea that I'm not sure if I trust you with my suffering. This is something we're going to have to settle. This is something we're going to have to let go of. And this is something that we're going to have to settle as a body. For Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, there's a place in us where suffering, if we don't allow God's way, we can become asleep in our suffering. We can actually be lullabied to sleep by the world around you and the difficulties of it. And God is asking us to be awakened in our inner man. And I don't think one can suffer for who you are without joining it to the abiding life of love. That if I abide in Christ's love, I live enveloped in that place of God's love, then suffering may be the outcome. But with it, as Paul, no, excuse me, as John said in John 15, he says, this is my command, love each other as I've loved you. He says, 
I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have. And so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Wow. Saints, that's what the Lord's asking us. Will you join me and trust me that it is full of joy to suffer with me, to live in love, and to give yourself away to sacrifice the world's accolades, the world's affirmations, and all the things that this body desires for the sake of love produces great joy and peace. Can I trust the Lord with that today? Well, I don't know. And I have to tell you, we all have to test those places in ourselves. And we do it by loving others. And when the moment comes, don't miss it. So I'm going to take a moment and we're going to close, but I want us to pray this prayer. Because I was thinking the other day, I was standing, and I was thinking, if things get more difficult, and they will eventually, because the scriptures tell us they will, if things become more difficult, will I do the thing that this is asking of me? But more importantly, will I recognize the moment? I think for me, my biggest concern is, is that when suffering comes my way, will I not even see it? When the invitation to suffer long for someone else comes my way, will I miss it? Will I be so absorbed in me that my opportunity passes me by? God, I ask us today to be given this eyes to see and ears to hear of all the opportunities that you have assigned to us to fellowship with you in suffering, in love and grace, and love for others, and love for you. That, Lord, you would give me the ability to see by your Spirit those moments that you've asked me to step over into selflessness, to do what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. All of the attributes of love would become part of my journey, and I would be willing, but also attentive to my opportunity to do so. I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to speak to all these precious souls. May these words go deep in the heart of everyone in our community, that they may grow deep in love, because the greatest of all is love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks. I look forward to the next time we're together.